That is uh, that last song we sang is a sermon in and of itself. That's guys, think about that. Think about that day, that that moment for us um, when we draw our last breath, and and for those who have accepted Christ as their Lord and Savior, they stand before Him, and then for eternity, we just get to embrace Him. We just we just get to sit at His feet and and give Him all glory. That's that's going to be such an amazing day and. A great, great song. Uh, Mike, thank you for doing the welcome. You did a fantastic job. Felt like Coach Warren was up. I wasn't. I was a little nervous. I didn't know if he's gonna make us do jumping jacks, push-ups, <laughs> wind sprints. I wasn't exactly sure, but um, but thank you for that. And um, we, we often we don't give enough um, props for uh, we, our tech crew over there, and and Gavin Larimore and. Zach Warren doing a tremendous job helping us, and that's one of those one of those positions that you hopefully, if you're sitting in the seat that they're at, people don't know that they're sitting there. Um, as soon as the speakers start to crack, or if there's muffling and noise, then all eyes typically go their direction. So the Lord's blessed us with a great crew, and so they never look that way, and that's a good thing. So thank you guys for all that you do and. And so many of you guys get here early on Sunday mornings and help us set up chairs and fold bulletins and greet and eat donuts and coffee and all that kind of good stuff. And so it's a good thing. And as, as Mike said, it, for those, this is your first time here, I, we're so glad that you're here. Um, it's exciting because we never know who's going to be here. Um, I, I, had, I guess it was about a week and a half ago I bumped into Lenny at Starbucks. And I hadn't seen him in quite a while, and he asked what I was up to, and I told him, and he told me he's going to come check us out, and I was so excited about that, and um, had um, met with somebody at the end of this week, and they didn't know what we were doing, and told them, and they said they're going to come check us out, and so it, God's good. He really is good, and um, we look forward to, to this journey. One of the things in the, uh, the bulletin that you saw at the very top, we are trying to put together a vision meeting. We are, I think I looked at my calendar a little incorrectly when I told you at the beginning of the month that we were at our six-month marker, I think I was about a month ahead of schedule. I'm just I'm very excited about that, hitting that six-month mark. But, but it, I think it's important for us, especially those who have kind of entered the journey a little bit after the, the, the initial birth of it, and, and, and we're still at the infant stages, obviously, as you can tell here, right? We're still in the very beginning stages, but, but we want to, Pastor Ryan and I, um, just want to have an opportunity to kind of share some of our vision, kind of where we've gone in the first six months, but more importantly, where we hope to go in the very near future and then uh, and beyond. So, so be a, on the lookout for that. Um, we don't have a, a concrete date set for that, but it'll probably be the very end of this month so we can get some stuff out there before Easter. So please be on the lookout for that. Um, if you are new, uh, we have welcome cards there. Please sometime this morning fill out one of those welcome cards and put in the offering at the end. Um, we would love it if you give us some, some contact information so we can follow up with you. Um, Jenna Nielsen and I think Miss Kay and a few others write some letters to, to those who come visit, and we don't want you to miss out on a letter from them. And we also want to include you on our, our newsletter that we send out. We usually send out an email at the beginning of the week with some announcements, and then a second email towards the end of the week with kind of a recap of what's been going on. So if you're new, please take some time and fill that out. All right, so if you have your Bibles, uh, uh, Mike read our, our text. We, we've been working through the Gospel of John since the very beginning. And, and this week we get to another miracle. Last week we talked about when Jesus fed the 5,000. And, um, and so the, the text, the story 
this morning that, that he read was from John chapter 6, uh, verse 15 through 21. Now, here's what's so cool about the Gospels. Uh, many of the um, different events that are recorded in one Gospel are recorded in some of the other Gospels. And, and what's really cool, what I really love about the Bible when it comes to the Gospels, is the stories are a little bit different. And it's not like they're, it's not like John's telling a lie and, and, and Matthew has no clue what's going on. It's, the idea is like if we're all telling a story, if we, if we all sit down and we're watching um, a basketball game and then separately somebody asks us about the basketball game, my perspective is going to be different than Ryan's perspective. Right? The outcome will be the same. The, the game itself will be the same. But, but you know, if, if, if he's rooting for one team, I'm rooting for another team, our, our perceptions can be a little bit different. And so what I, what, what's really cool about the, the Gospels is sometimes the stories, they, you, you look at them in other Gospels and it fills in some of the blanks and it gives you kind of a, a fuller picture. So, so this morning, the text is when Jesus walks on water, but we're actually going to look in Matthew. So we're going to look in Matthew chapter uh, 14. So if you have your Bibles, go over to Matthew chapter 14. As you're turning there to give you to catch up to where we, we left off last week. Last week, we introduced uh, Jesus um, at this, this, this crowd, this multitude. And, and in one day, this, the things that happened last week and what we're going to talk about today all happened like the same day. Most of us have busy schedules. Most of us, stay, uh, we run around and do all these things. This was a, a, a very extremely busy day for Jesus. Uh, the morning of these events, he would find out that his, his cousin his friend, the one who was the forerunner to him, the one who would announce to the, to the masses that Jesus was the Messiah, John the Baptist. Jesus would, would, would get word that John the Baptist had been beheaded and died. Um, that's not a way that we probably want to wake up in the morning and, and start the day off with. But that's the way Jesus' day began. The disciples and Jesus had been very busy. In fact, the disciples had just kind of returned from this, this, uh, all these speaking engagements, if you will. They'd gone around talking, and they returned back. And, and Jesus is trying to get them away to, to enjoy some time of relaxation, some rest, to recharge their batteries. By this time, Jesus is becoming kind of this local celebrity. People are following him. He's, he's done all these different miracles and these signs. And so the, the crowds, the masses are intrigued by this guy. And so the crowds begin to follow him. And Jesus, um, they go into the wilderness. Some of the translations talk about going up into the mountain. Well, really, they're going up into the mountains. They, they tried to, to, to get away from the crowds, but the crowds just kept following and following and following. And then finally, Jesus had compassion on these crowds. And he stopped and he began to talk. And, and he spent hours, the, the, the afternoon, speaking and preaching and teaching to, to these crowds. Towards, as, as, the, as the evening is drawing near, the people begin to get hungry. And they have this, this debate, what do we do? And, and the response of the disciples was to tell Jesus to send the, the crowds away, let them go home and fend for themselves. And Jesus, again, had grace on the crowd and said that was unacceptable, we're not going to do that. Last week we talked about that whole interaction where he, he tests Philip and he, he turns square to Philip and says, uh, where do we go buy the food for him? And Philip's response was, we don't have enough money. It's going to cost 200 denarii. It's going to cost 200 days w wages to buy enough to just give the people scraps. 
And Andrew goes around the crowd while, while Jesus and Philip are going back and forth. And Andrew walks around the crowd looking for people like he always did. And he finds this little boy with a little lunch. And he brings this little boy to Jesus. And even in the statement we see when Andrew's talking with, with Jesus, it's this complete, complete sense of inadequacy. Where he says, I found this, but all he has are five loaves of barley bread, little cakes, and two fish, little fish, what we would probably consider the size of sardines. That's all he has. And then Jesus takes this lunch, he looks up to heaven, he gives thanks, and he begins to break that boy's lunch. And that one lunch turned into two lunches, and then to three, and to four. And guys, when we read this, as in all the Gospels that discuss this particular feeding of the 5,000, the only person who's performing the miracle is Jesus, and he's doing it one lunch at a time. It's not like, sometimes if you're like me, you, you think in your mind, you're like, he said thank you, he breaks the bread, and then boom, all the food's there. Now, this is a miracle that goes on. It, it would have taken them hours to feed the masses. And 5,000 is just the men. That does not include the women or the children. I mean, we're talking probably conservatively 20,000 people. And last week I challenged us with the idea, could you imagine being that little boy? That's a little boy, and that's the only food he had. More than likely, that was probably the only food he had for the day. These people that are following Jesus are in desperate need. They're not the rich and the famous. And that little boy willingly gives up his lunch. No expectations. He gives it to Jesus. And could you imagine that little boy's eyes as Jesus begins to break that meal and break it and break it and feed one, two, three, four, five. And, and this little boy's probably got the front seat watching it all, and his eyes are probably huge. And that little lunch that he had would turn into a buffet that he would, he would fill him, the little boy, and the whole crowd would be filled to, to the point where we look at the Greek word, that Greek word for filled would be the same as glutted, like stuffed packed to the gills. And so they do that. Jesus does this, okay? That's, he gets the news of John the Baptist. He, he, he teaches all day. They're already tired. They're worn out. They've been looking for rest. He teaches all day. Then he performs this miracle that would have taken hours, and they're tired. And the crowd's response was, they want to make Jesus the king. And Jesus pulls the disciples away. And he, when we read in Matthew, or, or Mark, I believe it is, he's, he's, he tells that he's compelled to send the, the disciples into the boat. He wants the disciples away. He wants them away from the crowds. And so if we have our Bibles today, we're going to look at Matthew chapter 14. Matthew chapter 14, verse 22. I'm going to read this, and then we're just going to talk. Matthew 14, 22, it says, And immediately he made the disciples get into the boat and go before him to the other side. While he dismissed the crowds, and after he had dismissed the crowds, he went up on the mountain by himself to pray. When evening came, he was alone. But the boat by this time was long away from the land, beaten by the waves, for the wind was against them. 
And in the fourth watch of the night, he came to them walking on the water or walking on the sea. When the disciples saw him walking on the sea, they were terrified. And he says, and they, and they said, is it a ghost? And they cried out in fear. But immediately Jesus spoke to them, saying, take heart. It is I. Do not be afraid. Verse 28 says, and Peter answered him, Lord, if it's you. And Peter's not questioning him here. Really, if we look at the literal translation, it, Peter would be saying, Lord, since it's you. Command me to come to you on the water. And he, Jesus, said, come. So Peter got out of the boat and walked on the water and came to Jesus. But when he saw the wind, he was afraid. And beginning to sink, he cried out, Lord, save me. Jesus immediately reached out his hand and took him, saying to him, O you of little faith, why did you doubt? When they got into the boat, the wind ceased. And those in the boat worshipped him, saying, Truly, you are the Son of God. Let's pray. Lord, I thank you for this morning. I thank you for the sunshine outside and the rain that's coming later in the day. And Thank you for everyone that's here this morning. God, I believe that you have a few words for all of us, myself included. Holy Spirit, I ask that you give me your words, your thoughts, your passions, your power. I pray that as we look at this incredible miracle, that you show us what we need to see in our own lives. Lord, I ask that as we leave this morning, we leave different than we came. That we leave a changed people. We leave a changed church. I love the first song that we sang this morning. Christ is enough. Christ is enough. May that be our anthem. May you be enough in our lives. May you cause us to become people who are more desperate every day to know you, to be with you, to spend time with you. Lord, we love you and thank you for everything you've done. We look forward to the amazing things you're about to do this morning. In your son's name we pray. Amen. So we have this story here. He gets the disciples away. He, they, they go off into the boat, and they're, they're going to try and cross the Sea of Galilee. The Sea of Galilee is about eight miles wide. It's 686 feet below sea level. It's it's in a place, in a position between the Arabian Desert and the Mediterranean Sea. And because of the location and, and the depth of where it is, it was un, not uncommon for these great rifts of air and, and wind to come ripping through this area. This storm comes up. The disciples begin to, to row their boats. Jesus gets rid of the crowds. He goes up in the mountain to spend time with his father, to pray. While this is occurring, this this great squall occurs. And these disciples, again, remember, these are, are fishermen. These are trained professionals. These guys have spent their lives on water. They get in this boat, and they begin to oar, and the, the storm comes. More than likely, as, as, they, as Jesus sends them off, it's about dusk. 
and they battle all night long. We just read in Matthew here that about the fourth watch, which would have been sometime between 3 a.m. and 6 a.m., these trained fishermen only got about halfway across the sea. No doubt Jesus knows there's a storm. The cool thing about Jesus is he's our Savior in the storm. We have to remember oftentimes he's the sender of the storms. Why? These are good guys. These are disciples. They love Jesus. They had just spent the morning witnessing this amazing miracle. One of the reasons why I love doing expository teaching is we begin to see all of it in line. The whole story. Sometimes if we just bounce from chapter to chapter or from story to story, we disconnect things. Remember, these guys just saw an amazing miracle, didn't they? Jesus feeding all these people with a little boy's lunch. They saw how amazing he was. They saw how powerful he was. They saw the abundance of Jesus. They had a literal glimpse with their own eyes. And here we are a few hours later, and there's a storm. And they're freaking out. And they see Jesus walking, and they, and they have no idea. Their first response is they think it's the ghost. They're terrified. And as they're walking out, and Jesus hears probably them screaming, Jesus says, take heart, be of good cheer. Settle down, guys, it's me. And I love this. And this is the reason why we, we came to Matthew this morning. Because John doesn't give us this glimpse, but it's such an, an impactful part, at least to, to the story in my own life, is this interaction with Peter and Jesus. Once Jesus identifies himself and they hear his voice, I love how Peter shouts to Jesus, since it's you, Lord, command me to come to you. And Jesus simply says, come. Come. And Peter jumps out of the boat. Guys, Peter, he is like the guy that most of us, that most of us feel like we're on the same page as Peter. He, he, he speaks without thinking. He puts his foot in his mouth. He, he's the guy that's constantly falling, isn't he? And at first glimpse, we read this, and we're like, oh, no, Peter, don't do it. Don't do it. You're going to fall. And so often I've heard this, 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 this passage preached, and, and, and we just make this horrible, horrible view of Peter. Guys, I, I want to tell you, when I read this story, I want to applaud Peter. Because Peter is the only guy that's willing to get out of the boat. He is the only one with enough faith to call out to Jesus and say, hey, let me come to you. Let me do what you're doing. Let me walk on the water with you. Remember, these guys all just hours ago saw Jesus in his abundance, in his amazing, in his power. Yet Peter's the only one with enough faith to cry out to Jesus. 
we see this story, when we, when we think of this in the context of, of, of what's going on, the events of the day, we realize that the feeding of the 5,000 was the lesson. It was the classroom session. And now it's test time for the disciples. It's time for them to take their exam. Did they really honestly listen? Did they really pay attention? Did they allow what happened, the feeding of the 5,000, to penetrate their hearts? The answer is no, because in Mark 6, 52, the Bible tells us the disciples' hearts were hardened. So Peter gets out there, and this is what's so, I love this story. Because Peter gets out of the water, and his eyes are locked on Jesus. And guys, Peter is doing exactly what Jesus is doing. He is walking on water. As sure as my feet are on this stage. As solid of a foundation as this is, it's the water in which Peter and J- Jesus were walking on was just as solid. And Peter's walking, looking eye to eye with Jesus on water. In the midst of a storm. In the midst of a storm that took them hours to only get halfway across. In the midst of a storm that had trained professional fishermen scared. Peter is walking on water with Jesus. But then something happens. Something catches Peter's attention. Big wave, maybe the wind, but something causes Peter to take his eyes off Jesus onto a wave. I had the privilege of um, two weeks ago, to speak at North Florida Christian Chapel for their middle schoolers and high schoolers. This was completely unplanned, but I prayed over what to tell these middle schoolers and high schoolers. And God led me to this passage, the same passage we're talking about this morning. See, in life, sometimes when we look at this, we, we think of storms in our lives. Every one of us, I don't, I, every one of us, I don't care how, how, how religious you are, I don't care how good of a Christian you are, every single one of us will hit storms in life. The reality is it's not just one storm. Our lives are filled with storms. One of the things I told the youth, though, is when we look at this passage, we can't just think of those tragic times in our lives. We can't just think of those moments where, um, where it's just full of tragedy. Because the reality is, those waves don't always have to be tragedies. In the midst of the context of the story, those waves were a distraction. Those, were wa- those waves were things that caused Peter to take his eyes off of Jesus. Most of us who have been grown up in faith, most of us who were involved with church, most of us who are Christians, when we find those those moments, those hard times, those those, those seasons of life that are, are full of tragedy, we typically do gravitate to Jesus. 
One of the things I want to challenge us today about is, is when we look at this context, let's not just think about the tragedies in life, but what about the ways of distraction? What about the things that distract us? What about the things that take our eyes off of Jesus? Those are all sorts of things, aren't they? For some, it's our vocation, it's our job. We, we pour so much into our, our job that before we know it, our eyes are off of Jesus and we're worshiping our job. For, for some of us, it could be this pursuit of, 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 of wealth, of finances. Sometimes they're not even bad things, guys. For some of us, if we are not careful, our relationships can cause us to take our eyes off Jesus into our relationship. Those of us who are blessed with a spouse, we need to pursue our spouse. We need to spend time with our spouse. We need to invest in our relationship. But it's unfair for me to put Courtney on the pedestal and worship Courtney as God. Just like it's unfair for her to put Chad on the pedestal and worship me like God. But if we're not careful, we can put everything into that relationship. It could be sports. There's, there's a multitude of things. And guys, those things in and of themselves are not necessarily wrong until they cause us to take our eyes off of Jesus and focus on the ways. When we look at this story, the moment, the moment Peter takes his eyes off Jesus, he begins to sink. He begins to sink. There's a correlation there. When his eyes are on Jesus, he's walking on water. He's doing amazing things. He is getting closer to Christ, closer to Jesus. But as he gazes away and focuses his attention on the wave, on the distraction, he begins to sink. We live in a, a very interesting time. I was looking at some statistics this week. I don't know if you guys realize this, and um, it made me very, very sad. You guys realize that 84% of students upon graduating leave the church. 84% of kids, once they leave high school, go off to college, leave church. Every year they estimate 4,000 churches close their doors compared to 1,000 new churches. To give us some perspective, from 1990 to 2000, the combined membership of all Protestant evangelical denominations in the United States declined by almost 5 million, 9.5%. So in that 10 years, it goes down 9.5%. While the U.S. population increased by 24 million or 11%. In 1900, there was a, a ratio of 27 churches per 10,000 people. In 2000, 
there were 11 churches per 10,000 people. I remember as, as God impressed upon my heart to begin a new church. You start telling people and start having those conversations and people, some people would say, well, aren't there enough churches? No. They're not. They're, they're not enough good churches. I'm not saying every church is bad. I'm not saying we're the best. They're not enough good churches. The U.S. now ranks third following China and India in the number of unsaved people, non-profession Christians. In a study done on those who frequently attend church, by frequently we're saying they go to church twice a month. 1992, 22% of America attended church frequently. 1995, 20.5%. 1999, 19%. 2002, 18%. They estimate by 2025, 15% of America will go to church. By 2050, less than 11% of America will go to church. We've taken our eyes off of Jesus. Like Peter in the midst of that storm, we've allowed so many things to enter our lives. And while all this is taking place, we're slowly sinking. We're slowly sinking. Guys, as I said earlier, there's nothing wrong with sports. I love sports. There's nothing wrong with money. There's nothing wrong with homes. There's nothing wrong with second homes, third homes, fourth homes, five, fifth homes. There, there's nothing wrong with relationships. There's nothing wrong with those things until we place them above Jesus. What ends up happening is we begin to stare at those things. They distract us from him. And we sink. We slowly sink. What's great about this story, though, is, is Peter is sinking, but as soon as he realizes that, he yells, Lord, save me. As I picture this story, I see Peter looking, and, and he, he's distracted, and he begins to sink. And, and, and in my mind, I see Jesus with his hand already stretched out. Peter doesn't see the hand because he's, he's too worried looking at the waves coming. But finally he yells, Lord, save me, and the hand's there, and Peter grabs it. <laughs> Jesus pulls him up. He pulls him up out of the water. And you guys realize? Now they're walking hand in hand, eye to eye, and they're both walking on water. In the midst of this storm, Peter and Jesus, hand in hand, eye to eye, walked to the boat. I am optimistic about a lot of things. I'm optimistic about our church. I believe God will use us in amazing ways. I do. I, every, I, every fiber in me, guys, I, I'm excited about it. I'm excited about seeing what God will do in us and through us. 
My, my prayer, I, I say this, and I don't say it enough, my prayer always has been, and hopefully God willing always will be, that God brings us people who, are, who don't know him as their Savior, who are far from him, or need a place of refuge, need a place of safety. That's the people that I want God to give Redemption Hill. And guys, I know for a fact Tallahassee is full of people who do not know Jesus, are far from Jesus, or need a safe place they can come. I'm optimistic about that. We live in our country. There's a lot of things. And guys, if you saw my email this week, um, and, and, and I, I said some stuff about giving, and, and I used uh, an illustration of national debt. And I, in the email I said, I'm going to re- recap it here. I'm going to say, listen, this is not a political statement. This is not me just bashing our current president. The stuff that's going on here goes back generations. <laughs> All right, we've, this is several presidents. Okay, so this is not me being Republican, Democrat, what, it, no. This is me saying that we as a country, we as people, have taken our eyes off Jesus and we're sinking. The great thing is this. If we're like Peter and we say, Lord, save me, and we reach up, he will grab us by the hand and pull us up. He will restore us, he will grab us, he will hug us, and he will carry us back to the boat. So that gets me excited. That gets me excited because God's placed us here, here, now, in the midst, as we look at statistics where, that are showing us that things are getting to get worse. God's placed us here. God's given us the opportunity He's given us the opportunity. And I could not think of finer people to lock arms with in ministry of sharing God's love and God's grace. And so Peter grabs him by the hand and they walk to the boat. And as soon as Jesus gets in the boat, the storm ends. It's over. We see it in in the Gospel of John not only is it over, not only is the storm done, but immediately the boat's on the other side. What took those men hours, hours to get across only halfway took Jesus, not even seconds, to get them from halfway to the other side. See, Jesus is a God of abundance. He doesn't want to give us a little. He wants to give us abundance. A lot. The distractions, the distractions, the things that we can easily get distracted by, those are just little things compared to the greatness of God. Where are we going to turn our eyes? Where are we going to find our fulfillment? What are we going to trust as people? One of my favorite stories, I've shared it before, I don't know if I've shared it here before, is about a young man by the name of William Borden. William Borden, um, in 1904, graduates from high school. He's 16 years old. William Borden is of the Borden family. You guys all remember Elsie the cow, Borden milk, right? We all familiar with that? He's the heir of the family fortune. He's the heir to take over the family company, the family business. He, um, as a graduation gift, is given this 
And this is how you know he was very wealthy. His parents paid for him to go around the world on a trip. Middle East, Europe, Asia. On this trip, he goes with one of his buddies. Again, he's 16 years old, smart guy. On this trip, God calls him to become a missionary. His friend looks at him. He's like, what in the world? You're nuts. You're set up. You're going to be a multi, multi, multi-millionaire. You have everything at the tips of your fingers. Why would you give that up to be a missionary? That night, he writes a letter to his family, kind of announcing his intentions. He takes his Bible, he reads it, and he flips over to the back cover, grabs his pen, and he writes two words. No reserves. No reserves. He gets back home after the trip. Um, Mom and dad are excited to see him, but dad tells him, you're going to go to college. You're going to go to school first. You're going to get an education first and foremost. So he goes off to school, goes off to Yale. Again, smart guy. God is impressed upon his heart, though. He cannot stop telling people about Jesus. He gets to Yale. At this time, Yale's kind of considered a Christian university. He gets there and realizes it is far from a Christian university. He begins to pray and begins to start having this Bible study. By the end of his first year, there's 150 people going to this Bible study. He continues with this. By the time he graduates, it's Jesus coming, right? The wind, you know. The storm's outside. We're going to walk on water in a little bit, okay? But by the time, by the time William Borden graduates, 1,000 of the 1,300 students are involved in his Bible study. His dad's not satisfied yet with his education, so he, he makes William Borden go off to get his master's, his graduate degree. So he goes from Yale to Princeton. Again, smart guy, right? I mean, pff, I couldn't even carry his books probably. He goes and he graduates I mean, by this time, guys, he's got all these major companies coming to him, offering him jobs. I mean, he can write his own check for whatever he wants. I mean, if, if he doesn't want to do the family thing, he's got a multitude of other opportunities. Again, he takes that Bible of his, he's reading it, and he flips to the back, and he sees those two words, no reserves. He takes his pen, and he writes two more words directly underneath it. No retreats. No retreats. He is steadfast in what God has called him to do. He is looking eye to eye with Jesus. He's not letting these waves of distraction take his eyes off of Jesus. He is walking. He is marching forward. God had called him to go to this people group, this Muslim group in China. So he graduates from Princeton. He gets ready. He has to go to language school first, so he boards a boat, a ship. He goes over to Egypt to learn the language. One month in at Egypt, he comes down with spinal meningitis. Within a month, is dead. 25 years old. Some people say, man, what a wasted life. This guy had everything at his fingertips. He could have done anything he wanted. His belongings begin to get sent back home. They start going through some of it, and they find his Bible, and they, the family begins to pick it up and thumb through it and look at the different things that he underlined and highlighted or whatever. They get to the very back of it, 
and something jumps out at them. They see these two words at the top that say, no reserves. And below it, they see two more words that say, no retreats. And then below it, barely legible, shaky handwriting, they see two more words. No regrets. No regrets. On his deathbed, he took his Bible. He opened it up to that back page, and with his pen, probably barely able to write, staring death in the eye, all sorts of distractions. He says, there's no reserves, there's no retreats, and there's no regrets. My prayer for you and myself, as we go through life, as we go through the storms in life, as we encounter the, the waves of distraction, that we be able to say no reserves, no retreats, and that one day, that one day, that one day when we draw our last breath and we stand before Jesus Christ, we'll be able to say no regrets. And Jesus can look at us and say, well done, well done, my good and faithful servant. Life is hard. There's storms everywhere distractions everywhere where are your eyes going to be where are my eyes going to be my prayer this morning is that they're locked on Jesus and if they're not if we've taken them off of Jesus if we've begun to look at things around us I pray I plead I beg you holler out Lord save me and reach back for him He's already there. His hand's already waiting for you. Grab it and let's go. Let's pray.